Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. I believe that we are on the verge, not just as individuals, but as a church. I believe as a nation. I believe even in the midst of everything going on politically, I need you to understand that King Jesus doesn't need to take a poll. King Jesus doesn't need a certain amount of delegates or superdelegates. Jesus doesn't have to worry about what the debates say. His word is unchanging. His standing is unchanging. He's king no matter who sits in Washington. And I need you to understand that you don't, there's people that get so fired up over politics. And, And having opinions are nice. But the word of God is the standard by which all our opinions should flow. Say it again, Pastor. The word of God is the standard by which all our opinions should flow. Our politics should flow from the word. Our our ideologies should flow from the word. Everything has to be God-centered. Christ doesn't just infiltrate my spiritual man, but he impacts my family life my business life, my personal life, even my recreational life. Come on, somebody. So when you say you're a follower of Christ, it affects every avenue, every aspect of who you are, not just your Sundays. Because if you're only following Christ on Sunday mornings between 11 and 12, you're not following Christ, you're following a church. I don't know if they get it, TJ. I don't, I don't know if they're, they're capturing this. But uh, I just want to say, you know, before, you know, he's going to be taking off pretty soon. He got a couple weeks. But TJ, stand up. You know, we're just really proud of you, man. Uh, <laughs> TJ is, he's going to be heading out to UNLV uh, soon uh, to play football. And uh, really proud of uh, what, what's, a, what's a, ahead for you, what God has for you. And also, one of the things about CWC, being that San Jose is a college town, we have young people that will be here for a season with us while they're in school. And one of those individuals is, uh, you know, just uh, so proud of her accomplishments. She was the student body president this last year as a senior at San Jose State University. She's going to be going on to USC to do her, uh, her graduate work. And today's her last Sunday with us. Lulu, would you stand up and make your way uh, down this morning? She's been here with us for for the past four years and just really proud of all your... Don't start crying, okay? (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me help you here. There you go. We just want you to know how proud we are of you. And that wherever you go, you're always going to be CWC family. So I'm going to ask you if you would just stand to your feet. And let's just pray a blessing over Lulu as she gets ready to head to USC and to do her, under, or to do her grad work. Just so proud of your accomplishments. And we know great things are in store for you. you. Amen. And so um, you'll be okay. I didn't wear makeup intentionally. Okay. Either did I. So let's pray. Father, we just ask, my God, your grace over Lulu. We're just so grateful for bringing her through these past four years, the influence that you gave her, 
the ability to impact society, my God. By, you can't change a, a culture that you have no influence over. Lord, we thank you for the influence that she has, my God, among her peers, among those around her, the influence of love and compassion that, she, that emanates from her. And Lord, I pray that you would go before her and prepare the way that as she goes to USC, that that would just be more ground that belongs to her. For your word says, wherever the soles of my feet are planted, that ground is yours. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would just grant her, Father God, favor as she goes to this new school. And that, Lord, that she would stay Spartan to the bone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can remain standing. A couple weeks, we'll be doing the same thing for TJ, praying for him as he heads out. I'm going to have you turn your Bibles, if you would, with me for a moment. And uh, to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament right after 1 Samuel. It's deep, deep. Some of you will get that on the way home, all right? And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it tells the story or the culmination of the story of King David has taken over as king over Israel. And... The the anointing that he received to become king, now he's on the verge of taking over this this whole kingdom. But his first act as king is to return the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Because during the whole reign of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the presence of God, was absent from Israel. In fact, if you've ever seen um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you... Uh, who was that? What's the guy's name? Indiana Jones, uh, Harrison Ford. That's what the movie was written about. It was going after the Ark of the Covenant, finding the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the power of God. It symbolized the glory of God. And whenever Israel went into battle, they would carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And they would rally around it. And it wasn't that the men fought better. It was that the presence of God went before them and destroyed the enemy for them. The presence of God can defeat enemies that you can't defeat on your own. Say it again, Pastor. I said the presence of God has the ability to defeat enemies you can't defeat on your own. That's why it's vital to bring the presence of God into every situation. But I want you to see what happened is that There was a time where Israel turned their back on God and even the priests couldn't hear the voice of God. And so what ended up happening, the Ark of the Covenant was taken from Israel. And when the Philistines took it, they placed it in the the temple of Dagon, their God. They looked at God as just another God. And when they walked in the next day, they found Dagon laying flat before the Ark of the Covenant. I'm here to tell you, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. Every other God's going to have to bow before God someday. Now, they put him back up again. Next day they come back and Dagon's on his face before God, only this time his head's broken off and his arms are broken off too. The people start breaking out with all these tumors and sicknesses and the leaders are like, man, we got to get this thing out of here. We we can't, the the, the Ark of the Covenant is, is destroying our city. So they create a new, new cart. They put the Ark of the Covenant on this cart and then they get oxen to pull it and to take it down the road towards Israel. 
From that time, the Ark of the Covenant hadn't been in the city of God until David comes up with an idea, a plan to bring it back. This is where we pick it up, amen? So that, I just gave you a little history lesson right now, okay? Stay with me. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says this, Then David gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all, and he led them, someone say led them, to Balah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And the cherubim were two angels that sat on the top, in gold, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And they believed in between where the angels' wings touched. In the middle of there was called the mercy seat. And that's where they would make atonement before God. This is where the, the power of God was centered. Now, we know God doesn't dwell in a box. Oh, come on, you, you got to capture this. And many times we think the same way that they thought God dwelled in this box is the same way we think God only dwells here in a building. But God was never, never created a thing to carry his presence. He created you to carry his presence. You were designed and fashioned to carry the presence of God, not a building. And notice what happens. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart. Someone say new cart. Brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house. Pray with me now. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Someone say, on the verge. I don't know about you, but we're on the verge of something great. You are not on the verge of breakdown. You're on the verge of breakthrough. Come on, somebody. My question to you this morning is simply this. Have you ever wanted the right thing, but went about it the wrong way? Let me try this side. Have you ever wanted the right thing, but went about it the wrong way? Amen? I knew you were the spiritual side. I want you to capture where I'm going with this. I want you to get a hold of this. There are many times we want the right thing, but we go about it the wrong way. You want some single people. They want a relationship so bad. They want, uh, they want a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife. And so they get into a relationship, but then they begin to compromise the very morals and standards that they had in their life because they want a relationship. Are you following me? So you want the right thing. Relationships are okay, but you go about it the wrong way. And you don't, you know, well, if I don't give them this, if I don't do that, if I don't do this, then he or she's going to leave me. But you need to understand that you can want the right thing, but go about it the wrong way. Are you following me? You want to get out of debt, and so you find yourself working overtime, working on Sundays, beginning to neglect God, not, not going to church, working and working and working. But in that process, not only do you not even give to God, as a result, you focus in so much on getting out of debt that you're putting your efforts to bring about the breakthrough, not God. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is this, is working's not wrong. Don't get me wrong here. Or having to work on a Sunday is not a bad thing. I want you to understand that when it's God, God's not, you're not going to go to hell because you worked on a Sunday. What I'm talking about is priority. And recognizing the priority of God in your life, David wanted the right thing. And the right, right thing that he wanted was to bring the Ark of the Covenant from Abinadab's house to the city of God where everyone could benefit from the presence of God. Now follow me. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 2 says this. It is the glory. Someone say glory. glory. 
It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. In other words, if you want to grow, if you want to get to new levels, if you want to expand in your life, you got to learn. you got to search things out. You're never going to get to another level if you're satisfied with the knowledge that you have right now. And the problem is, it's not that God doesn't want to bless your marriage, your finances, your body, your mind, or even your relationship, your spiritual life with them. Is that somehow we think that all these things are just going to happen by accident. You just hope that these things are going to take place. And it doesn't work that way. You have to search a matter out. you got to learn the principles of God. And many of us get so, so mystical that we think that somehow God, and I believe in miracles, don't get me wrong, but we think that God's going to work through miracle to bring about transformation in our lives when in reality God uses principles to bring about those changes. You can't violate the principles of God while expecting a miracle from God. And it's in the principles that God's established. And so David wanted the right thing. He wanted the presence of God back in his house. But something happened. Now, I want you to notice, if you read in the King James Version, in the book of Samuel, Second Samuel, when it tells the story, you see that all the instruments that they're playing were all played with hand. Everything was hand. Everything was, was in guitars, cymbals, things like that. And as they went, the Bible says that, that Ohio went first. His name means friendly. In fact, Jack Hayford puts it this way. He says, friendliness led the way. And Uzzah, who was behind, meant strength. And he was back there in case the cart couldn't move forward. Uzzah would get there and pick up the, the cart and move it forward. You know, some of you guys are, are the, considered the strong ones, and you're always placed in that position where they know if they need help, they're going to place you there. Sepha was moving yesterday. Someone needed help moving. He was there all day doing, doing the moving there because they know he got the guns. He got the strength to take care of it. We live in the same house. Did they ask me? No, they asked him. <laughs> and I appreciate that as well. A couple weeks earlier, someone else was moving. And... Uh, so I sent two of the guys over there, and one of them came back. They said, oh, they, all they wanted was Sepha. <laughs> so they put Uzzah in the back to help push it. And the Bible, now, now I want you to notice what ends, up, what ends up happening here. The Bible tells a story that the cart hits a bump, and the Ark of the Covenant begins to slide. And that Uzzah, walking behind it, reaches out to steady the Ark. And God kills him. God killed him. Now, have you ever read something in the Bible where you're like, dang, that's just wrong? Come on, don't look all spiritual at me. <laughs> oh, no, I never disagree with God, Pastor. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> How many of you have ever looked at, at a situation in the Bible where you're like, man, God, that was, that was brutal? It just seems unfair. All the guy did was just stick his hand out to keep the ark from falling. He was protecting you. But whenever it seems like God overreacts in a situation, it's because there is a principle there that God will go to extreme lengths to protect. And many times when we break the principle of God, you don't break principles. Principles break you. 
And so you keep praying that God will change something, but you keep breaking the principle. And so the marriage keeps dying. The finances keep dying. Your body keeps dying. Your relationships keep dying because you keep breaking the principles. You have no value for the principle. And God was protecting a principle, and that principle was this. You never put your hands up against the power of God. You don't need to protect me. I protect you. You don't need to steady me. I steady you. You, you, you thought I was gonna, uh, something was going to, you were trying to protect me. You didn't, in other words, when Uzzah stuck his hand out, he was letting the people know, I got this. I, I, my, my strength will take care of this. And many times we start things off in our lives. What God has started in our lives, we end up trying to push it forward through our strength rather than through God's spirit. Now, now, check out what happens. Immediately, someone say immediately. immediately. Uzzah is killed. And they, they take the ark, and David is ticked off. He's upset because he wanted the right thing, but he went about it the wrong way. And now a man's dead because of David's decision. And David's upset. And I want you to know Proverbs 24, 16 says this. The godly may trip up seven times, but they will get up again. Come on, somebody. But one old disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. So what makes you righteous? What makes you, what, 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 how does God look at you and say you're godly? What makes you godly isn't the fact that you never fall. What makes you godly is the ability to get back up again and keep going. We all mess up. We've all blown it. We've all tripped up at one time. But when you sit there and you stay down and you look back at your failure but never improve on it or never make a change and just sit there and think about, woe is me, at that point you cease to be godly. What makes you godly is your ability to get back up, dust yourself off, and say, I'm moving forward. I'm not giving up. Oh, come on, somebody in this house got to hear me. But I want to share with you three things very quickly this morning. That when you're on that road to success, when something happens, how do you handle adversity? Number one, first of all, you got to understand this. Sincerity doesn't automatically mean success. Got pretty quiet in here. You're like, I don't know what that means. Let me explain it to you, okay? Just because you meant the right thing doesn't mean the right thing will happen. Sincerity doesn't equal success. And many times we might mean, mean to do the right thing, but what ends up happening, David's heart was right. His heart was in the right place. Look at 1 Chronicles 13.3 on the screen here. It says this, it's, it is time to bring back the ark of the Lord our God, for we neglected it. Someone say neglected. We neglected it during the reign of Saul. So David recognizes, man, I want to bring the ark of God here. How many say that's a really good idea? Bring the presence of God into your home. Amen. Right? Oh, come on. Uh, this, this side, I'm really trusting that you guys are going to become more spiritual by the time this time's over, okay? So let me ask you guys again. And this is where the prayer team's at. This is where the, come on. <laughs> I want to know, do, do you recognize that there are some times that it's, it's always a good idea to have the presence of God in your home? Thank you, three of you. I appreciate that. Good job. Now, I want you to understand his heart was right. 
And you can have your heart in the wrong, right place. Now, I've seen many people that, that they have their heart in the right place and trying to heal their marriage. But they get so frustrated that things aren't moving fast enough that they begin to criticize rather than praise. And so as a result, the marriage gets worse. Now, you, you're, you're saying the wrong thing, but you're meaning the right heart. I want the marriage together. I love you, girl. I love you, babe. And all this stuff, you want to get things together, but you're going about it the wrong way. In the same way, David wanted the presence of God in Israel, but he went about it the wrong way. And there's times that you want the right thing, but you go about it in the wrong manner. And your, your, your sincerity doesn't equal success. You could be sincere, but still be sincerely wrong. That's why it's important that you study the word and find out what the principle, what the word of God says for how we're supposed to deal with things. Learn and get studied to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Second thing I want you to understand is this. You cannot, now check this out, you cannot judge God's will and goodness based on your setbacks. Now, now follow me on this. Because Uzzah died... David could have very easily said, I guess it's not God's will. That's the way we live. Well, she likes me. It must be God's will. <laughs> he said I was cute. It must be God's will. You know what? They, they said I could, work, I could work the job. It must be God's will. And we judge everything based on if the door is open, it's God's will. That's not faith. That's fate. You're living based on whatever doors open, I walk through, it must be God's will. Do you realize that there's some open doors that aren't God's will for your life? That God's will is based on his word, not your circumstance. David wanted the presence of God in the city, but when Uzzah died, he finds himself looking at this setback. David was upset, he was angry, and he looks at God. Look at verse uh, 8 and 9 of chapter um, 6 of 2 Samuel. David was angry. Somebody say angry. Have you ever been angry at God before? Oh, come on, be honest. Do you know that some of those individuals uh, that were closest to God in the Bible were the ones that got the angriest at him? That's how you know you got a relationship with God. Let me share something with you. God's big enough to handle you, handle your disappointment. And when you have a relationship with God, you can be honest with him. It's when we're religious that we fake it. Something happens, you mad? You mad, bro? You mad, bro? No, I ain't mad, no. It's God's will, man. It's God's will. It's God's will. So, so, so your wife and kids left, your husband left, the dog left, and it's God's will, man. It's God's will. I don't think so because the word says what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, if you've been through a divorce, I'm not, I'm not putting you down. What I'm simply saying is this, is that just because something happens doesn't mean it's God's will. I've known way too many young people that have gotten involved in relationships. It may have been the right person, but the wrong time. Or the wrong time and the right person. And we see things that, that the right or the right timing or in the wrong person. You've you got to understand something, is that we don't live according to fate. We live according to faith. And so even when 
my circumstance doesn't match with the word. I don't allow circumstance to make the choice for me. I let the word make the choice for me. So what David does, David recognizes that God does want the presence of God here. I just went about it the wrong way. And so I'm not going to allow this setback to keep me from continuing to pursue the presence of God. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to do number three. I'm going to make some adjustments. And many of us need to learn that failure is a seedbed for increase. Failure is a seedbed. It's a garden area where you plant and you take your failures and you plant them in the ground and you learn to make things different. You learn to make some adjustments in life and realize I did this and it didn't work. So now I'm going to try this based on the word of God and watch it grow. David made adjustments. What adjustments did David make? I want you to notice in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, 6, 2 Samuel, he says this. You, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. It's easy for me to say. So David went there and brought the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom. Now, now check this out. When, when Uzzah dies, they, they park the Ark of the Covenant in front of a man by the name of Obed-Edom's house. And David was like, man, we'll just leave it there. You know what? Because, you know, he was upset. He was angry. When you're angry, you don't think straight. Never make, and you've heard this, never make a permanent decision based on a temporary circumstance. And David, David is angry. And so he leaves it there. But then all of a sudden, people from the neighborhood are driving by and Obed-Edom's crops are higher than everyone else's. His cows are fatter than everyone else's. They're having more offspring. His stock is up. His business is getting blessed. His family is getting blessed. And David's like, shoot, man, that dude's getting all the blessing for the thing that I wanted. He goes, we're going to bring that ark to the city so everyone gets the blessing. Only Obed-Edom right now is the only one getting blessed right now. And I want everyone to get this blessing. So David says, you know, I got to make some adjustments. So he makes adjustments, goes to the word. And when they find out in the word that when you move the Ark of the Covenant, when you move the presence of God, it was never to be moved on a cart and auction. It was supposed to be on the shoulders of the priest. That the presence of God was never meant to be moved on a cart on anything man-made, it was supposed to be carried by man. Men that were separated unto God, unto his service. That if you're going to move the presence, it's going to be by carrying the presence of God. There's a weight that comes along with the presence of God. If you don't want to carry out the weight, then don't ask for the presence. Many of you are saying, I want the presence of God on Sunday morning, but you don't want the weight that goes with it when you walk off this property on Sunday afternoon. The presence of God has a weight that goes along with it because you can't speak in tongues on Sunday and then gossip about your neighbor on Monday. There is something that takes place when you're in the presence of God and you carry the ark, when you carry the presence, when the presence presence of God is in you. 
You were not designed to create methods to move the presence of God. Well, if we play the music in this manner, if we have Troy hit this, this note, if we have the guitar player hit this riff right here, we'll be able to motivate and move the people and cause them to respond to in a certain manner. You can come up with methods to try to move the emotions of people, but only the presence of God will transform a person. It's a presence. And it only moves through you. That's why we jump from church to church to church to church. Because we're looking for a place that has the presence. When it's not about the place. It's about you. You're the carrier. You're the priest. It's up to you to pick it up. You get up in the morning, go to work. You're picking up the presence and you're taking him with you. You go to school, you're picking up the presence and walking onto that campus with the presence of God. When you walk into every situation, you walk into that business meeting, you pick up the presence. You go into that sales pitch in negotiation, you're picking up the presence. When I go in there to give a presentation, I pick up the presence. If I'm talking to WFG, I walk in there with the presence. Wherever I go, go to an NFL chapel, I'm bringing the presence with me. Why? Because wherever I go, I was designed, I was fashioned, I was created not to carry my past, not to carry regret, not to carry a addiction I was created I was formed to carry the presence of God God blew breath into Adam and when he blew breath into Adam he literally blew the Holy Spirit into Adam Adam wasn't designed out of just dust he was designed and formed like a pot to carry the presence of God that's what you were designed for you weren't designed to carry regret you weren't designed to carry failure. You were fashioned and put together to carry the presence of God. And some of us, we, we think and we look at ourselves and we're like, worship team, if you would help me. We're looking at ourselves and saying, man, this, this, this can't hold. He's too and I'm too. He's too and I'm so. He's so and I'm you're, you're so amazing, and I'm just, and we begin to look at who we are as opposed to who he is. And we feel unworthy, and Satan wants you to feel so unworthy about your failures and your mess-ups and think, you, you think you could carry the presence? Remember the words you just spoke yesterday? Remember how you treated that person yesterday? Remember the gossip that came out of your mouth? Remember how you treated your wife? Remember how you kicked the dog? Remember all those things that you did? And it gets, uh, it gets us to begin to look at our lives and we think that we're unworthy to carry the presence. Oh, listen to me, folks. What right did David have to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem? Why didn't Saul do it? But David understood something. He says, listen, I know this is what I want. And so the Bible says this, is that he made adjustments. The Ark of the Covenant, they go to Obed-Edom's house. The priests pick up the Ark. And the, the, this is what happens. One, two, three, four, five, six. They stop, put the Ark down. David, the king goes and he sacrifices 
an ox getting blood all over his kingly garments. And he makes a sacrifice unto God and he says, okay, guys, now I'm not a numerologist, but, you know, the number six is the number of man. And after six steps, David's like, I'm not going any farther on my own. I'm not going to take another step without you. I'm not taking another step in my marriage, in my, my education. I'm not taking another step in business. I'm not taking another step in, in, my, in, my, in my, my goals and success in life. I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to sacrifice to you, God. And you know what they do? They pick it up and six more steps. They stop again and another sacrifice. The amount of animals that were killed that day, the amount of blood that was shed, the amount of time it took for them to get from Obed-Edom's house all the way to the city of Jerusalem. By the time they get there, David's robes are probably pretty bloodied. And when they finally get into the city, imagine the relief. We made it. And no one died because we did it the right way. We sacrificed unto God. And you want the presence of God in your life? It's going to take sacrifice. And it's not one time. I, man, I sacrificed. I got up early, went to the 930 service last week. I sacrificed God. Ooh, I went for it. That was 20 years ago. But if you want the presence of God in your family, in your life, in your career, in your education, in your future, it's going to take a sacrifice along the way. It's not a one-time sacrifice. I remember way back when when we gave up. No, recognizing I'm, I'm sacrificing to God every step I take to the point where, check this out as we close. Second Samuel, see if I can say it right this time. Chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So David went from there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps and sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. I want you to go jump down now to verse 14 and 15 of the same chapter. And David, verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment, an ephod. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy, blowing of ram's horns. I want you to take a look at this. Now you know why David ripped off his clothes and started dancing. Now you know that when David finally got to the city, he began to dance before the Lord with all his might. It doesn't say that the Spirit of God fell on him and he began to dance. He danced with all his might. It was an expression of his love for God. There comes a time in your life where you got to take a step. It's not waiting for God to touch you. It's you stepping out and saying, God, I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you for what you've done in my life and what you're going to do. I don't 
don't care what anyone says. I don't care what they're going to say about me. You are worthy of this praise. And I will determine. I will give you my all. Yet we're too concerned about how we look when we praise. The cool praise. The holy praise. This is when you're receiving. This is when you're praising. That's a palm tree praise. But David's praise was unscripted. I think so many times, listen, you can't seek the deity of God while maintaining your dignity. So many times we have to look right, act right, make sure that, there, that there's a certain protocol in our, in our approach. David, when he got there, he was so grateful to have God's presence that he, he lost it. He went crazy, ripped off his clothes and started dancing. Now keep your clothes on. Please, please, no matter how grateful you are, keep them on. But there was an attitude of worship unto God that we've lost in the church today. You know why? Because we've sacrificed nothing to get into his presence. He sacrificed it all. And if we would learn to carry his presence, then you would come to realize that when I carry his presence, he will carry me. Stand to your feet. Your breath is what we carry, God. Come on, lift your hands all over this place. Lord, your breath is what we carry. I don't want to carry anything else that isn't you, God. Your breath is what I carry. Come on, right now, just invite the breath of God in. Invite the breath of God into your life this morning. Invite the breath of God in right now. Yes. Come on, church. You don't have to sacrifice an animal. All you have to do is sacrifice yourself. Jesus paid the price. All you got to do is receive him. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.